Welcome to Tesseract Podcast, where we unlock your power to innovate. Hi, my name is Matt, and I'm going to be your host today. Tesseract's mission is to empower airmen, connect them to resources, and accelerate change across the Air Force logistics enterprise. Specifically, our team works as an innovation accelerator assigned to the Air Staff Logistics Directorate, where we partner with airmen to operationalize the new sustainment strategy. This episode is a recording of Ether Sprint 2022, where Tesseract hosted three finalists that competed against 23 teams to present their ideas to all of Log Nation. All right, here we go. Woo! Big day, uh, Ether Sprint 2022. And it's also another special day for Tesseract. It's our second birthday. Uh, thank you, General Barry, for signing our charter two years ago today. Uh, so. Ether Sprint is an annual event for airmen, you know, frontline airmen, people like me, three stripers, and up to, to share their ideas and perspectives to advance Air Force-wide solutions and impacts. It's evolved a lot over the last several years. It started with the lowest think tanks in 2019 and the virtual symposium, and, and now today, things have evolved quite a bit. We decided to focus on three focus areas this year uh, with automation, multi-capable airmen, and supply chain. We had 23 teams answer the call this year, and we had three finalists. And you're gonna get a chance to hear the finalists brief today. They're gonna have 10 minutes to brief their solutions uh, right up here on stage. Isn't that awesome? That frontline airmen get an opportunity to brief the leaders of Air Force Logistics about how they can make a change from their shop and now ultimately at the Pentagon. So let's get them hyped. So this is supposed to be fun. Get it, you know, get excited. Um, you know, keep a smile on your face, and um, you know, we're excited to have them on stage. Um, so the first team that we'd like to introduce is the Janus Project. Would they like to come on stage? Oh. All right, give it up for the Janus Project. <laughs> Good morning, Loa. It is an honor to be in front of you this morning. We are the Janus Project, and we are going to talk about something that I'm sure none of you have ever heard of before called multi-capable airmen. Unless you just PCS from under a rock, you've probably heard of agile combat employment and multi-capable airmen. But what we're getting after is the problem set we were given. How does the Air Force deliberately develop a multi-capable airman for that peer-to-peer -peer fight in a contested environment, degraded operations, degraded capabilities, limited logistics? Why do we need to get after this problem? Well, the National Defense Strategy, the Chief of Staff of the Air Force, um, they all point to we need an agile combat scheme of maneuver. And we can't do that without airmen that are multi-capable. So getting after this, it'll give you a lighter lunar footprint, faster response time, redundant capabilities. And if we don't get after developing these multi-capable airmen, uh, the, the ACE concept can't happen without them. And our current basing structures and support doesn't allow ACE to happen at the level we need. So in order to cage this big beast, we, uh, we had to put some sort of fence around it. So we went with the assumption that we probably wouldn't have a budget and that what we propose needs to complement what the wings and the uh, MAGCOMs are already doing. So what are they doing? We, we set out on this project, we started making phone calls, having meetings, getting after it. And uh, well, the train had left the station 
back in 2019, we were, uh, we were the new kids on the block talking about Ace, and uh, I was Donnie, he was Danny, and we still thought we had the right stuff to be able to get after this, though. All right, dad jokes, I'm old. <laughs> so we, we found out that uh, ACC, PACF, USAFE, AMC, NGB, they're already doing some sort of ACE, and they've already developed, in some capacity, multi-capable airmen. Um, the Expeditionary Center has already uh, published a training syllabus for multi-capable airmen, which most of the units have largely adopted. Uh, they're already exercising this, they're already go getting after it. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of uh, meetings and MAGCOM syncs once a week to get after ACE and discuss the TTPs after action reports. There's a knowledge management site that is a repository for all this information. So it's already, I mean, it was already there. So we aren't ignorant to the fact that a lot of you in this room have probably done a lot of this, developed multi-capable airmen, and, uh, and, and probably even exercised ACE. Um, but what we do realize is there's multiple individual lines of effort happening. All right, so the Air Force has already defined what multi-capable airmen is, and that's a, a cross-functional team um, doing tasks outside of their core FSC. And the, the graphic you see there is, is how the CAF is organizing uh, their multi-capable airmen to get after the ACE mission. The units are building small, multi, uh, multiple small teams of capabilities, not necessarily select a number of AFSCs. And then they push those teams out to the forward operating bases where they generate combat power. And if necessary, they can break those teams up even smaller and push them out to forward operating or contingency locations where they'll continue the recovery, reload, and launch operations. The key to note about this is those individual team members that wind up in the contingency locations might not all be maintainers. So this kind of illustrates the need to have multi-capable airmen. So as mentioned before, in researching the, pro the problem statement, um, Janice Project reviewed the different MAGCOM CONAMPs and the different units training syllabuses. And the one thing that we, the gap that we identified was a lack of standardization in how the units were building their multi-capable airmen teams. So what our proposal to help fill that gap is, is for the half to standardize a baseline set of mission generation tasks. Specifically, what we're uh, proposing is to add core five-level tasks to, uh, for aircraft launch and recovery, turn operations to specific 2A aircraft maintenance career fields, and also to add core five-level tasks for mission handling equipment, cargo, packs movement, um, vehicle maintenance, or basic vehicle maintenance and operations for select transportation career field CFETPs. The second piece of our solution was to, for the half to standardize a core five-level uh, set of expeditionary skills. As mentioned earlier, the U.S. Air Force Expeditionary Center has already developed a MCA um, training syllabus for ACE. And in that document, they list these tasks as common tasks that airmen need when the, in, a, in a deployed environment. So all we're saying is the half should standardize this, add these as core five-level tasks to all airmen, uh, CFETPs. Now, how does all this training fit into the AFRIGEN model? So training is never-ending. However, the, our, our opinion is that the, the, the biggest opportunity 
for, for this training would be in the reset phase. That's where the, the units would find the needed white space to get after some of this training. And then in the prepare phase is most likely where they're gonna start building their select MCA teams and building upon that MCA airmen that we just gave them with the additional tasks that are specific to their AFSC, or specific to their AOR. And then in the ready phase is where they'll go and exercise their uh, MCA capabilities before certification and presenting forces. Oops. Sorry. But any plan comes with risk and rewards. And as it is now, the primary risk of our plan would be that it is 100% OJT at, the time, at this time. Um, it's gonna add an additional training burden and additional upgrade training time for airmen. And for some airmen, it'll pull them out of their work center for not only for the initial MCA training, but you also need continuous MCA training in order to prevent task atrophy for those tasks that they're doing outside of their core FSC. However, the benefits we view that our plan gives is that by standardizing how the Air, Air Force develops multi-capable airmen, you're gonna get a more standard airman that goes across the whole of the enterprise, right? So an example of what we're trying to prevent is in reviewing some of these units training syllabuses, some were as long as 13 weeks or longer. And what you'd hate to have happen is for a unit to invest 13 weeks of training into an airman, for that an airman to inevitably get orders to PCS and quite possibly PCS to a, a base that either doesn't do multi-capable airmen or has a totally different training syllabus. At that point, you're no longer cap fully capitalizing on that investment that you made in the airmen. Another benefit our plan provides is flexibility to the unit. By having these baseline MCA airmen, units are able to temporarily move manning from an unutilized manning source to, to where the manning need is on a temporary basis. And then by standardizing multi-capable airmen development, you're gonna get, the Air Force is gonna get a more efficient and interoperable workforce for not only the ACE mission, but home station mission. Yeah, so how, how are we saying we need to get after this? Well, starting immediately, we need to refine and reevaluate these core tasks, these five-level tasks that we're talking about for these two career fields specifically right now. Uh, we need to develop that proficiency baseline of what that looks like. CFM buy-in is gonna be key. Um, update the CFETPs after that. This eventually will scale, should scale, to additional AFSCs that would complement the ACE mission, uh, like CE or COM or FUELS. Uh, there, there's a lot out there. So we, we scale it out to more AFSCs. We add the expeditionary training to the basic training piece and then the mission gen training to your tech school piece. And then going farther forward, we, uh, we could potentially scale this out to multiple, or all the AFSCs. Do we, do we really need specialized AFSCs, all of them to be specialized? Or can we consolidate some potentially? But the bottom line really is, what we need is a, a, to develop that culture, to train to that mindset. So if half can recruit the airmen with the flexible mindset, we can train them to the tasks that we need. And with that, we'll open it up for questions. All right, cool. <laughs> Over the past week, we collected questions from LOA attendees, so uh, this is what we have here. How did you select the specific tasks? All right, so 
going back to that one, that other slide where it listed the specific capabilities. So we started looking at what those AFSCs were that of the capabilities that they were building teams for. And so once we looked at that and we looked at the individual training plans that we reviewed, they all shared similar things, the tasks that we picked, but it wasn't just enough to pick the, the tasks that were identified in all of them. You wanted to make sure that we weren't giving these airmen that are training outside of their specialty too much on their plate, right? And then you also wanted to make sure that whatever training that we proposed could be done at the unit, right? You don't want to have them have to get training that is not available at, the, at where they're at. So that's how we came up with those. I'm at a unit that is beginning to get after MCA training and requirements. What can we do to learn from others? I would refer to, whoop, I just turned it off. Refer to this slide, whoop, back. Right. So reach out to some of these units. They, they've already been executing all this in, in training exercises, TTXs. Uh, any of these units would be a good resource as well as getting a hold of the, uh, the SharePoint knowledge management site that has, that retains all this information. It's already out there and available. We are already tasked with a lot of other requirements. How can we get after this training and create the white space we need? So as you see, some of these units, they're already doing this training uh, in large. So we're, there is still a little bit of a burden because we're saying this needs to apply to all airmen. So being here throughout the week, hearing about uh, the capacity that a theory of constraints uh, can generate, that'd probably be a good starting point for units to look at that, to provide extra white space that they would need. And what is the timeline for execution? The timeline? Yesterday. Now, <laughs> we gotta get after it. Awesome. Thank you, Janice Project, for your presentation. We'd like to welcome the preps from Hill Air Force Base. All right, hello. I'm Airman First Class James Dorfler, presenting alongside my teammate, Airman First Class John Gustafson. Uh, we both come from all the way from Hill Air Force Base, where we work for the 421st, it's an FGS. Uh, it's a lot of exciting opportunity to kind of change the way we do things. I'm a crew chief, John's in supply, and this is how we're moving towards predictive logistics. Air Force A4 senior leadership challenged us with answering the following prompt. How might the Air Force transition from a pull-based to a push-based logistics system? Biggest difference between the two being that a push-based predicts demand for inventory rather than responding to pulls from stock. To answer this global problem, we decided to focus on bench stock as our solution. And our solution statement is as follows. Low-level consumable inventories are an underestimated bottleneck in maintaining F-35s. They can be solved with simple supply analytics using existing data and no significant process change for units. I'd also like to point out that though we focused on low-level consumable assets, this can be scaled up to all assets across the Air Force. So we have an overview of kind of what our project was here. Uh, I'd like to focus on the AIM especially. So we wanted to, we're, we're A1Cs, we can't affect policy change that easily, nor can we fund big things. So we wanted to find a place where data already existed but was underutilized 
technologies already existed and were available to us, but were underutilized. And perhaps most importantly, I wanted to use my own skill set in data analysis uh, to create a decision advantage for uh, supply supervisors and managers like yourselves. Our solution, which we'll go into this more later, is twofold. It is a an data analytic pipeline that has a dashboard that inlines into Teams, uh, which is very exciting. And it also is specific policy change recommendations. So we have confirmation we are working with Tesseract moving forward on that. Our asks are for someone to take responsibility for buying a software license, uh, as well as people that would actually participate in this. And I hope that we came to the right place for that. Um, as well as we need to form some kind of dedicated analytic custodians. And I might know a guy who set the whole thing up, so. I do wanna talk about uh, why we settled on this, and it's gonna be a little bit of a horror story for some of you, I think, but it's a true story, and it's important to think that policy caused this outcome, not individual or a local problem. So as I said, I'm a crew chief. Uh, I work on F-35s. I was in a class to learn how to remove and install something called an IPP, which is a small engine that starts the big engine, uh, known in legacy aircraft as an APU. In doing this, you have to flight safe a bunch of fasteners when you put the thing back in, and you use like cotter pins and some special like technical glues for that. Um, I had to go on a wild goose chase to find some cotter pins to put this IPP back in. Now, we were working on a trainer jet, so this thing wasn't flying anytime soon, but we still needed them. I had to go to all three squadrons on, uh, on Hill, through all their COSO shops, which is the supply shops, uh, and I couldn't find any there, so I went to the warehouse, and I ended up taking the last couple cotter pins on base for this trainer jet. And when I came in to work the next day, back to my home squadron, uh, we realized that we had that same maintenance that needed done later that week on a jet that was actually flying. And actually, another squadron at Hill, the fourth, also had another jet. So I accidentally grounded two jets <laughs> by myself, doing a job for a, a broken out jet that was a trainer jet. You don't want that, right? That doesn't look good for anybody. Uh, you'll, be, you'll be happy to know the root cause didn't, get, didn't chase its way down to me, but uh, you know the health of fleet metrics did take a hit in some way, and it kicked off a very expensive ordering process that we're going to walk you through real quick. My job within supply is COSO, and one of the things that we do is manage our bench stock inventory. Like this cotter pin, they are cheap consumable assets that are frequently used by maintenance and housed in a centralized location. So sticking with this cotter pin story, James would come in to my COSO shop and would give me a part number for me to run against our bench stock inventory. Um, with a push-based logistics system, this is where this process would end. We would have a positive inventory within our stock. He would be able to grab this cotter pin and go about his way. Currently within a pull-based system, that's not always the case. So if it's not in our bench stock, we would then check against our warehouse. And if it's not in our warehouse, um, the first option is to conduct a uh, restock order, which is a low priority and takes several months for this asset to get on base. Our other option, if there's no alternates available and this asset is needed to prevent a jet from being grounded, we will conduct a high priority order. It starts the same way. James would come in and check against our bench stock as well as our warehouse. If there's none on base, he would then go down to his production office to fill out paperwork. After filling out paperwork, he would then come back to me at the COSO office, where I would then check against our order against our warehouse and then contact manually our ops center to let them know that we are conducting a high priority order on a consumable asset. And it would come through the supply chain. 
All of this for a simple cotter pin. Now stepping back from that to the cause of this issue, uh, first I'd like to mention that we're governed by JPO policy. However, we see this as an opportunity to create a more optimal solution, not just for F-35s in the United States Air Force, but for our allies in the F-35 program as well. With once a month inventories, um, all of our restock orders go out to the warehouse at the same time. This puts a large strain on our inventories inside of the warehouse, and when that quantity hits zero, we run into issues like this cotter pin. We noticed that some assets would be stocked to their maximum quantity and hadn't been issued out for several years, when other assets had been hitting a quantity of zero every month. We also noticed that it can be, it's a consideration and is extremely difficult to change the demand for these assets in our bench stock as well as take out underutilized assets to, to replace them with assets that we are frequently ordering. Finally, there's no process to high priority these assets. With anything else that we're ordering, we're doing so against an aircraft. One of the reasons why this is being done is to provide justification, both on you know, why we need the asset and why this aircraft is requiring maintenance. Currently, with anything in our bench stock, it can only be ordered as a restock. It cannot be ordered against an aircraft, which lacks justification. I would not be a, a data analyst if I wouldn't try to link this into a different way of looking at things or thinking about things. Uh, when we think about our inventory levels, I want you to think about a, an accumulation of risk, that a certain below a minimum is a certain amount of risk, so that minimum needs to be set right. And above a maximum might be fraud, waste, and abuse concerns. Maybe that uh, it's a misallocation of resources. Maybe you could put something else in that place. So. Our solution then is to find the correct mins and maxes that would optimize your bench stock life cycle. Uh, and we did this. We created a data pipeline to upload, store, and analyze data for the three squadrons on Hill Air Force Base. And we used those, uh, the data that we got to generate models that are uh, responsive to future data inputs. And they give you certainty or uncertainty about what your levels, how your levels will perform in a given month. Uh, two of these outputs that it gives that I really like are a percent chance of running out in X amount of days, as well as the expected consumption in 30 days, not only in a good month, but also in a bad month. The other part of our solution is explicit policy change. Uh, we can go into AFI, probably meet me in the lobby if you want to talk AFI, uh, but <laughs> we have some specific measures that we think would be better for forecasting demand rather than things like uh, a daily rate or a 30-day expected rate, which doesn't really have clear guidance in the AFI. So here is a look at our actual platform. So notice this is in Teams, in a tool that I hope a lot of you use already. Uh, it's using mostly uh, Microsoft Power Suite services that already, like I said, were available to us, as well as I used a little bit of Vault technology. So shout out to Vault if anyone here is involved in that. Uh, let's focus on what is in the actual box in there. You got two little half donut charts. The first one compares, the blue one compares the current quantity against the min and the max. So it's a quick visual representation of how this part is doing. Uh, and the other one is actually that percent chance to run out this month. And you see the part that we have clicked on, uh, that's not a good place to be. It's below the min uh, and it's gonna run out with certainty. Statistically, it's actually expected to run out. Uh, the bottom of the card there, there are three lines. One of them says consume per month. So we can see that that number is very near the minimum on-hand quantity, 
probably not a good thing. And we can see the end of the month quantity is expected to be negative, as well as in a bad month, it's going to be significantly negative. So that's going to be multiple my caps if nothing is done about this. Maintenance costs and time are critical in the F35 program. We believe that transitioning to this push-based logistics system and having positive inventory at all times for maintainers to come and grab what they need will lead to many objectives. One at the group level being maintaining an eight-hour fix rate. More broadly than that, as we improve our inventory management, our supply chain management will also improve. Smaller, more frequent orders will be easier for both our warehouse and our manufacturers to forecast and to track. Finally, this aircraft stands on the front lines against our future threats, these threats becoming more real by the day. And the fact is, these consumables sometimes are grounding jets for days or even weeks. Effective logistics and efficient supply chain management are critical in any conflict. And this can be seen playing out right now in the Russian-Ukrainian conflict. So that's where we are and where we've been. Now looking forward uh, to fully scale this, not a big ask. Uh, we need a Power BI premium license. So one of those licenses would give us access to data bandwidth in an automation process. Uh, the data bandwidth, we would use an infinitesimally small part of that. So we could also just distribute this license to other analysts as they need it. Um, so that, that, we were thinking MAGCOM level support for that because someone needs to take responsibility for that, but then basically we could spread the actual use of the app all the way down. Like I said earlier, we need to find participants. Uh, I'd like to say it's an easy sell. There's really no cost to you in, in process or labor hours except for a few communications where we set up the actual data generating pipeline and we set up a call to uh, actually tell you how to use the thing. Uh, like I said, if you're interested, talk to us after or you know, go on the Tesseract website later uh, and we'll find a way to work together. And the last ask is that we need to arrange the actual custodianship. So like I said, the data pipeline is, right now for F35s, it's automatic for the most part. You have to upload data. Uh, but if we looked into going to legacy, I would have to clean the data, or sorry, someone would have to clean the data. Uh, and that's an initial process, but then it, you know, it rolls and it gets more or less automatic. But you also would want someone on call for data, uh, custom data orders, such as if you were going TDY, you could call the data custodian and say, I'm taking 10 jets for two weeks and we're flying 10 sorties a day. And we could scale the figures that we generate to uh, meet your demand. So in closing, uh, thank you. Huge shout out to our squadron leadership for helping us, giving us space and resources. Huge shout out to the Tesseract team, especially our coach, Captain Mike Comiskey <laughs> with Tesseract. Let's give a, let's give a hand, <laughs> Tesseract and everybody. <laughs> John, James, great presentation. These are the only two people I can call by their first names in this entire building, so I'm gonna take advantage of it. Thank you. You explained that your project focused on F35 bench stock. Could this tool be used for other NSNs or parts? Yes, it can. Um, not just the F35, but all airframes are in a pool-based logistics system. Uploading your inventory um, to our system will produce the data you need for better analytics and better forecasting both for NSNs and for part numbers. You said you want to get more users to move forward. How can I get involved? Talk to me. <laughs> I'm here. Uh, I'll be out in that lobby for the next 30 minutes after this before the next talk. And like I said, yeah, 
reach out to Tesseract. Uh, they'll put you in touch, and you know they're pretty good at what they do from, from what I've seen, so we'll figure it out. <laughs> How does this work? Does it use AI and ML? No. Uh, <laughs> the short answer is no. Uh, we had something like six data points initially when we were looking at our inventory for the F-35, a sad story that, you know, it's a separate, separate thing. Uh, so we use something called Bayesian statistics. They are a very tried and true concept that is still in use by major companies. If we had more data, we could look at using an AI, but I'm gonna tell you right now, bench stock is not a nuanced enough problem that you need AI to solve it. John, has your shop started using this tool at Hill yet? Has it made your life easier? Currently, our coastal team is using it as more of a reference when we are conducting restocks. However, all we would need is just the um, licensing for Power BI, and we would be able to fully implement this at Hill Air Force Base and beyond. You mentioned several times that you would like to drive policy changes. Can you be more specific? Basically, uh, better um, guidance on our inventory levels. Um, as well as better definition of daily usage. Yeah, if I could add on to that a little bit, that just current, current guidance is based on uh, uh, daily consumption, but it doesn't tell you how to figure that. So, you know, which day do you use to, to model that? Uh, there's not very explicit guidance. What tools did you use to build this application? So we initially were only on Vault, uh, using something called Databricks. Uh, and then we discovered Power BI and the Power Automate suite, and then we theorized that we could do something called clickless report generation, meaning you just save a file in a SharePoint and it automatically appends to your team's thing. Uh, so that was kind of a big pivot for us in realizing what was possible with this thing. Awesome, great mm -hmm. job, gentlemen. Give it up to the prep. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome, good, all right. <laughs> now I'd like to introduce the reliable spark plugs from Eielson Air Force Base. Good morning, I'm Master Sergeant Philip Berry. I'm Staff Sergeant Kyle Soliday. I'm Staff Sergeant Shane Weber. And I'm Master Sergeant Kathleen Myers. And we are the reliable spark plugs from Eielson Air Force Base. We're here to tell you that the bureaucracies, redundancies, and Headaches that all of you experience in your organizations can be automated to help airmen do what airmen do best. On our team's path to discovery, we identified constraints using tools from the theory of constraints and user-centered design. We identified constraints at the enterprise level and at our field level. Constraints such as untapped government-owned assets like technology, applications, and programs that can help automate some of the solutions that we're looking for. Additionally, we, at, we looked at what was the most impactful and feasible thing we could do as a team at our level to make a big impact at IELTSIN and represent the rest of the Air Force. Together, we utilized low-code, no-code as a minimal viable product to help us create a solution and prototype possible, possible solutions to our constraints that existed at IELTSIN. And in the span of four months, our team used this and taught themselves how to use Power Automate and Power Application. How many in this room today know how to low-code, no-code? 
Okay, just a few of you, right? <laughs> Small amount. So what you see in front of you here is a product I was able to create to route paperwork more efficiently rather than ESSS or TMT. Now I want to give you a little bit of backstory behind why I created this product. My son, Carter, who's five years old, requires special needs and is a part of the EFMP program. I was, great, uh, I was grateful for an opportunity to PCS to a new base. However, unfortunately, uh, there was a delay in the paperwork process for my son to be able to come with me at the same time. Now I do want to tell you what's not important. What's not important is the product that you see in front of you that I created. What is important is the fact that the majority of you don't know what low-code, no-code is, or how power automation works. Now I want to give you a viewpoint from the logistical aspects of it. We were able to create, using low-code, no-code, and automation, a way to reduce the time and effort for the PDF line. This reduced time from hours into minutes and is pre preparing us for URSAs. Sergeant Weber. As an avionics maintainer, something that takes a lot of time away from me and ultimately my, my family was uh, parts research and asset ordering. Um, by automating that process, it can save estimated 15 hours a week per user, and it ensures that the supply system is getting accurate data every single time with orders, as opposed to the erroneous data that you get with busy maintainers filling out paperwork. Um, so time, accuracy, increased aircraft availability, and the elimination of documents crossing desks in blue folders are benefits that we found with the products that we created, but as Staff Sergeant Soliday mentioned, that's not the point. The point is that the possibilities with these processes are limitless. We're not here today to tell you to buy our product. We're not here today to tell you to go back to your unit and swipe your GPC card. We're here to tell you that the solutions to many of your problems lie at everyone's fingertips. The benefits outweigh the risks. It takes one step, and that's an investment of time, and that's your only risk. All of this sounds great, right? But how do we go out and implement automation across the Air Force? We're looking to get working groups across wings and MAGCOMs to establish low-code, no-code training, and to utilize those points of contact to deploy the training and pre-made templates out to the bases within those MAGCOMs. By doing so, we are able to free our airmen's bandwidth to further focus on mission priorities. So what is our goal at the field level? What can we do now? We're already doing it, as we've already showcased. However, your airmen can also go out and do it. They just have, they need the tools to do so. We have, our airmen are able to leverage access to the same programs we use, like Microsoft Power Apps, and free training that's out there to create those uh, automated processes. They just need the knowledge and motivation, and we as leaders need to be able to do that. We need to empower them to go out and find those processes to automate. Uh, they need to find the processes that humans currently spend too much time doing, and that if a computer is able to do it, we need to take advantage of that. As Sergeant Barry mentioned, this just takes an investment of our airmen's time. In comparison, our team had little to no experience with low-code, no-code prior to this journey. And we learned the basics within three weeks, and we were able to create those processes that Sergeant Soliday and Sergeant Weber have showcased to you. Um, and within four months, we were able to like, fully implement them at our base. We used the free version available to us and your airmen which is cloud-based. However, if we were to scale up and use cloud and network-based, that would cost $160 per user, but that's not necessary, and we did not use it. 
What is our goal at the enterprise level? We are looking for a repository of shared templates of, of low-code, no-code training and pre-made templates for other people to go in and be able to find and search and bring back to their sections to implement, implement and better their processes. We need to empower our CPI and innovation teams to go out and implement or to assist with implementation of the automation processes within their own organizations and bases. What are we, sorry, slide. Um, what are we here, or what do we need here from the senior leaders in the room today? We're asking you to go out and designate those Wing and MAGCOM representatives to create those repositories so we can go out and have shared templates um, and access to those. Additionally, we need your support, encouragement, and empowerment for our airmen to go out and find those processes that we currently spend too much time doing so that airmen can get back to what airmen do best. Thank you, and we'll open this up for questions. Great presentation. You explained that some of you were not familiar with these tools prior to Ethersprint. Approximately how long did it take for your team to get proficient at these low-code, no-code tools? And what resources would you have wished you'd had? So like I said, it was like three weeks for the basics. However, within the four months, we were pretty up to speed with it and were able to create these processes um, with little to no trouble. What we requested as a, or what we would like to have seen for a resource would have been that shared repository somewhere where we can get these already existent templates. They're out there, we just need access to them and a shared repository would have created that. You mentioned utilizing the theory constraints to identify processes with potential throughput opportunities. Can you explain how using automation further elevate the identified constraints? There's a couple parts to, the, to answer this question. Uh, one, if you identify what we looked at, we looked at what impacted us, right? Like what impacted us on a personal level. So that was ownership, right? Even, even though what Sergeant Soliday went through wasn't necessarily my problem, I took ownership in his problem. And together, we use that and ideas from the theory of constraints and user-centered design to help us focus on what we can do. What is the minimal viable product for us? Have you thought about standardizing or creating a repository of approved or verified bots and automations to reduce any duplication of effort um, or to find the best of breed tools available? So I think that goes back to what Master Sergeant Myers was talking about with building a repository at the MatchCom level and the wing level. Uh, and requiring you as leaders to actually implement this and start going to it today. One of the main constraints in the military, as you all know, is the culture that we have. We don't want to share information. We don't want to give out and, and pass that on to other people. We need to change that and break those barriers. Do you require access to data or information systems? So we didn't have any additional access to any systems other than the ones that we have mentioned, the Microsoft applications that we already have. Um, so everything we made didn't require it. However, <clears throat> excuse me, um, with the addition of other Air Force resources such as um, ILSS, IMDS, uh, if we could integrate with those via APIs, I feel like that would greatly expand the possibilities for these processes. Awesome, let's give it up for the reliable <laughs> Now, I'd like to invite all of the Ethersprint teams to come on stage. And we'd also like to invite Lieutenant General Barry on stage as well.
Ladies and gentlemen, my, may I please have your attention. We have a surprise in store for these innovation teams. Their significant achievements over the past six months are an example to the logistics enterprise. And based on their incredible performance, Lieutenant General Barry would like to recognize their efforts. With that, will you please stand for the presentation of the Air Force Achievement Medal to our Ether Sprint teams. These airmen distinguished themselves as Air Force Logistics Enterprise innovators during the 2022 Ether Sprint program. They built teams who answered the headquarters Air Force A4's call to, for ideas to improve the Air Force logistics capabilities needed to deliver and sustain agile combat support and mission generation against pacing adversaries. Ascending to the top positions out of a field of 23 teams, their ideas have shaped the direction of the logistics enterprise and will be considered for immediate scale and implementation. Finally, our innovative airmen have ideas to improve Air Force warfighting and their efforts of these airmen standing in front of us serve as an example to all of us how fostering a culture of innovation and delivering airman-led solutions to warfighters can improve the Air Force. This concludes Ether Sprint 2022, and I'd like to turn the floor over to Lieutenant General Barry. You see him, I'll try to run for the door. Um, so, so you gotta admit, this room looks a lot different from up here, doesn't it? Bright lights, big room, lots of people, a little nerve wracking. You don't realize it when you're sitting out there watching people up on stage. You couldn't tell. You guys did an amazing job. So as the A4 in the Pentagon, I see a lot of briefings. I know that's just motivated a whole bunch of you to want to be the A4, but nonetheless. <laughs> oh, do I see a lot of briefings. Um, I will tell you that these airmen, under these conditions, right, this, this environment, gave these briefings, th these were as good as anything I have seen in the halls of the Pentagon. So not just the work you did leading up to this point and all the prep you did uh, to come out here and, and give your pitch, but the way you did it, the way um, it just came across with your enthusiasm, your excitement, and just the pride in what you accomplished, um, and then just spot on. So I just want to say from that perspective, outstanding. So another hand for them, please. So I also have to come clean. Um, Random mentioned two years ago, I signed the Tesseract Charter. I wasn't quite sure. I'm serious. I was not quite sure. My concern, right, was that we wanted to foster this innovation. We wanted to bring forward the great ideas of our Air Force Basic and Logistics Enterprise. And what we wanted to do was to create an office to help that along. And my fear, my genuine fear, was that what we were gonna do was put a layer of bureaucracy on top of the innovation and we were gonna end up having the opposite effect and stifling it. And I really thought about this for a while. So what did I learn? Well, actually, it's something I relearned, right? I had a second uh, opportunity to talk about this with General Hurry, 
and I had an opportunity to talk to some of the staff officers who are going to be the ones putting it together. And at the end of the day, I fell back to that, um, you know, a, a leadership philosophy, if you will, that said, I've got no reason to say no other than some thought that I had that it might do something it wasn't intended to do. And at the end of the day, trust your people. They were passionate about this. They fundamentally believed it was the right thing to do. That was clear. And so I signed the charter. And I'll tell you, standing up here today, I did not think Tesseract would be this successful this fast. And the things that they have done and the efforts that they have brought forward to scale innovation has been, in my mind, nothing short of remarkable. Trust your people. There's the folks up here on the stage. Trust your people. We started this, like uh, 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 General Hurry said, back in 2019 at LOA. The idea, really, back then was, you know, we, we are gathering these logisticians from all across our Air Force, far and wide. We're bringing them to a central location. Why don't we tap into their expertise? Why don't we, when we have all this collective brain power here, try to bring them together and help us think through some of the problems that we face in our Air Force? Well we found is we really didn't give them enough time. But we still wanted to harness the power of all that intellectual capital. So a couple of action officers took that idea and grew it and changed it and absolutely improved it to bring us what you see today, which is the ether sprint. Trust your people. They, through their hard work, their understanding of what it was we wanted to get after, found an outstanding process that we could use going forward to get incredibly talented airmen who fundamentally know their business to help us look at our problems through a completely different lens. And in the process, get some amazing solutions from them. So to the whole Ether Sprint uh, team, those who set all this up, and then those who spent the last several months uh, refining uh, your project and, and bringing it to fruition here today, uh, again, I just want to say outstanding job and thank you for all that you do for our Air Force. Congratulations, job well done. And we will take your ideas and we will make them real. So thank you. One more hand. I think Aaron Miranda has a future in public speaking, I'm just saying. Thank you again for listening to Tesseract Podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and connect with us on LinkedIn.
Any references to trademarked, copyrighted, or protected products or services such as books, movies, or businesses are used here for the limited purpose of education and professional development of Air Force Airmen. If you have any questions, please contact us at www.tesseractaf.com.